You're listening to Third Wave Trade Talks, a podcast that explores the dynamic world of global trade and compliance. I'm Grant Cernick, Head of Sales and Marketing at Third Wave, where we empower businesses to master the complexities of international trade. Join me as I sit down with industry experts, innovators, and thought leaders to explore the trends, challenges, and insights that shape the future of global trade. All right, so here we are with my good friend Noah Sangi from EQ Worldwide. Uh, Noah, welcome to the show. Grant, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Firstly, you have to correct or correct the record for posterity. Is it EQ or EQ or how, what is the official pronunciation or is it ECU? What is yeah. the official pronunciation? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I I've uh, I've been here over a year. I should know that. I think you know, it's got it's kind of like will we respond to any of any of those three? Yeah. Um, just, just don't and call somebody me. Somebody was dinner, telling me the story. The story of of our name was that when um, the euro was coming out, when the euro was like being talked about and and being voted on by the European Union, one of the potential candidates for the name of the currency was the the ECU or the EQ or the EQ, whatever you want to call it. So apparently this company was like, they, they chose that name because they thought it would be great to grab that name. You know, it's like, Naming your company Dollar or something like right. that. Yeah. Right, right. So, and, and then that but didn't it wasn't happen. the name. So, <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> so it's it's not an acronym. It's not ECU. But yeah, it's 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 yeah. EQ or 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 EQ. EQ. Okay. So let's start. I, I guess. Well, maybe for it might be interesting. We met at TPM last year. Yeah. Uh, where I think it was on the last day. I needed to charge my phone. And so I was sitting at a charging station by myself and you happened to wander up and we ended up chatting for, for a little while. And that's, that's how, how we ended up meeting. Um, it just so happens just as an aside with TPM, which is happening in March, uh, third wave will actually be on stage, uh, on the main stage with uh, a couple of our customers talking about things. Uh, so that's, that's kind of exciting. So I'm, that is exciting. Congrats. Yeah. I look forward to seeing that. I'll be there as well. Yeah, so I expect uh, I expect to see you there again. Um, you were you were telling me about EQ and sort of what you guys do, and it's not I don't think accurate to call you guys just a forwarder, um, although you do that too. Yeah. Um, can you like tell us what EQ does? Yeah, yeah, of course. So we are the largest. Um, LCL provider in the world, less than container load. Um, and, and I'll just stipulate that LCL is a weird business. Um, you know, the, the, the unit economics of ocean freight usually are going to incentivize you to try and move a full container, not a less than container, a full container. So, uh, you know, when a company tries to ship ocean freight, they try and fill a container and sometimes they don't have enough that, you know, maybe the manufacturing cycle turned out something less than what they thought. And so they have less, much less than a container, maybe not even half a container. And then maybe they have too much, you know, maybe the, the manufacturing actually delivered 20% more. And so what are you going to do with that? You know, a lot of times you still have to buy that and um, you still want to get that over, but you don't want to book another container. So because of what we call underflow or overflow, this occurrence, 
um, we exist, right? You know, that's why LCL exists. Now, the, most of the big forwarders, DHL, Coda Noggle, CH Robinson, they don't have a, an LCL business. They, um, they tend to co-load and they co-load with us or some other providers. We're the largest, so we have a really big network. And what that means is we have boots in the ground everywhere. We don't operate with a lot of agents. We have our own mm-hmm. warehouses. We're actually stuffing containers or devanning containers. So it's a great backbone for a network, but the bulk of our business, like our main customers are other forwarders who don't want to build their own mixed box. They just want to resell our services to their customers who need LCL. A lot of times they'll move on their bill of lading and we're just happy to like sell them the space per cubic meter. Um, But that's the core of our business. Mm -hmm. But we've also sort of grown to do some business direct. And my business is... um, is primarily focused on 3PLs. So where, you know, this is what I call warehouses that are focused on fulfillment, who are not freight forwarders, um, and we're building consolidations for them, many of whom are, so, you know, have customers that are sourcing from Asia. And so, you know, we're co-loading and, and bringing in shipments for that. So let's say you, you mentioned Kuna Nagel, um just as, a, as an example. So mm-hmm. if, I'm, if, if I'm a shipper and I have you know, a couple pallets to move or something like that. And I, and I go to Kuna Nagel and I say, Hey, I got to move these, these pallets from, you know, Shanghai to Long Beach or whatever that is. Kuna Nagel will say, um, yeah, yeah, uh, not a problem. I've got, uh, this is how much it is, whatever it is. But am I right in understanding that Kuna and Kuna Nagel will give me a bill of lading. They'll give me a house bill of lading saying they're, they're moving in. But it's actually not Kuninagel moving it. It's it would be EQ. It could be one of our competitors, co-loading competitors as well. Depends sure. on the level. Like we basically yeah. somebody as big as Kuna, they, they will they will move with many different providers. But we right. we typically there'll be certain lanes that they'll designate to us and they'll go in and they'll see when our next sailing is from Shanghai and our next arrival to Long Beach, and they'll pick the right sailing and they'll be put on what's called a neutral box. So they'll literally the, that the, these two pallets would be beside their competitors, DHL and CH Robinson, but it's a neutral box. We don't we don't share the information about who's in there, and you know, so we respect the the neutrality of the situation. But we give them a really good per cubic meter rate to move it, that then they in turn are essentially resell to their customer. So okay, so I find so I'm I'm actually quite I think quite knowledgeable about the FCL world and moving full containers because most of our customers actually do that the lcl world i i know less of so let's say you a, a company has a couple pallets to move so they they go to kuninagel and kuninagel uses you know ecu to actually do the move so you're mm-hmm. gonna have you can you can have two or more customers in a in a neutral container oh yeah yeah so when it okay, so it's going to get stuffed in Shanghai in this example, mm-hmm. and now that container is going to get on a vessel. It's going to move. I I expect like, is there a? It, there's still a master bill of lading. Is there a master bill of lading, and who who is that contract between? Yeah, that would be between EQ and the the steamship and line. The st- and the yeah. steamship line. So yeah. if I were moving an LCL shipment and I want to track 
the um like the status of the container uh-huh. um if and and i'm i i have a service to like let's say a, a vision or one of the, like a project 44 somebody who has like ocean 350 messages i'm yep. using the master bill of lading number similar to what i would do otherwise with a fcl i guess yep um but i'm tracking that that f the, the master bill to see the status of that bill yep and then when it comes to clearing customs you would each party who has a part of that um container needs to clear clear their goods independently they do they do and this is a really important distinction of why LCL is can be a little slower than and and is and there's some risk in LCL right because you could be put your shipment could be put beside a container in a container that has counterfeit goods or someone that just doesn't have good paperwork or didn't file their ISF or something like that so there is there are challenges like that um with our business, you know, we're very aggressive about getting the documents that we need. And for the most part, our forwarders are good about that too. Um, but there is a certain element of risk um, when you're in a container with other people because we're dependent on everybody's clearance before that gets released. And LCL containers typically have more physical inspections than full containers. They just do. You know, okay. U- U.S. Customs and Border Patrol is highly interested in what's in an LCL container because there's so many different uh, entries in a single container. So, so is it is it safe to say that you know if let's say one of the um one of the pallets not yours somebody else's pallet in a container has an FDA is it like is is food product or something like that yep. and they get called for an inspection that whole container is being held up it does it absolutely does and it's a great call out so what we tend to do is we tend i mean first of all we're not just moving one container from shanghai typically when there's a departure we may have 10 to 15 possessions on that boat. Um, and and in, in, what, in, in that case, we would have an FDA container. We'd have a hazmat container. We'd have a container that's just furniture-like items. You know, like we typically tend to put certain categories that customs look at together, and that will improve the likelihood that, or, you know, the, decrease the likelihood. Minimize, the minim, minimize the chances that-, that You got it, you got it. But if you're yeah. talking about like, a really small uh, origin or destination, you know, we happen to do, we have a strong business in the Caribbean, but, you know, Kingston, Jamaica is one container a week. You know, it just, it is what it is and everything's mixed in that container, (laughs) you know? So, you know, when you get into these smaller origins or destinations, you are going to see more delays because of that, because, you know, all the consignees are mixed um, in in that one container. Right. So, okay, well, let's... um... So, okay, so just to finish up on, on EQ then, so your primary business is sort of the LCL world. Is that the extent of what it is that you guys do or do you do you have other business as well? We have some other businesses. So it's an interesting story. We, um, we were founded in 1984 in Belgium. So it's a Belgian company and we always had a very strong agent in India um, in the in the port of Mumbai, uh, Navashiva, and um, this was a company that that grew. The port handler there grew, and and they became known as All Cargo Logistics. Now, All, All Cargo was very successful. 
Um, they've diversified into real estate and fulfillment and domestic trucking within India. Uh, they actually acquired a company called Gati, but they ended up buying XU in 2014. So all cargo is now our parent company and, um, and, and they're a diverse company. They do a lot, like I said, they do a lot of different things. Um, so that's interesting, including even like e-commerce incubation, you know, they're, they're interested in, uh, acting as a VC for companies that, uh, you know, can, are in growth mode that get, maybe can propel more shipments into our network. So that's primarily um, our, our core business. You know, it, it is still ocean freight, but in India, it's more. It's domestic trucking. Um, in the U.S., we have a truck brokerage that's called EQ Trucking. So that's mm -hmm. a subsidiary of EQ. But, they, you know, sometimes they just do domestic-only truck moves that have nothing to do with uh, international. Um, right. And that's, so that's primarily our business. But in India, it's, it's more than just ocean freight. It's also fulfillment. Um, we happen to be the landlord for a lot of large... Um, internet companies in uh in india we own some some uh some warehousing that's in some some critical uh places there and we operate container freight stations in india as well right okay and so what 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 is your role then and um yeah what's your role tell it tell us tell us what your role yeah is. no it's a great question um so the um the, the, the founder of, um, of All Cargo is highly interested in all things digital. Um, and so one of the things that they've invested in heavily is our portal and our visibility and our website, you know, which just makes us more friendly for internet companies that are trading on the internet and really makes us more friendly, you know, in, in this evolving world. But we're, we're especially attractive to anyone that's, that's doing business online. So... You know, my, my background is very much in e-commerce, more so on the fulfillment side. I was 17 years with DHL, um, you know, worked for their supply chain division, worked for Geotis, which is a, a large French 3PL and freight forwarder, um, but it focused on e-commerce, high growth e-commerce companies. Those are the people that I did business with. So we're interested in playing in this ecosystem and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, you know, one of the ways that we're doing it, I think I mentioned earlier, is that we're partnering with warehouses to help them. You know, that's kind of, in my mind, that's kind of a missing link. You know, when the container comes in, a lot of times there's no heads up. There's not good notification that the container is going to be there. And there's this weird dance where they're trying to schedule the appointment. And maybe there's a hot there's a hot pallet somewhere on that container that could have been tail loaded and, and, and gotten out quicker. Um you know, th that kind of coordination between the freight forwarder and the warehouse, in the past, it's not there. So I'm interested in building that bridge. And so I work with these warehouses on partnering with them on their inbound flow and providing services to their customers, mostly ocean freight services. We actually do air freight as well, but mostly ocean freight and, um, you know, just sort of helping them achieve their goals. And a lot of their customers tend to be sort of internet companies, companies that have an Amazon channel or companies that have a, a thriving website, their inventories really fluctuate a lot. Um, you mm -hmm. know, they may have a lot of SKUs and a lot, they're shipping out lots of eaches via parcel. So they really have to keep an eye on this inbound flow, you know, cause this, this got very much out of whack during the pandemic. We saw that. So there's an even bigger need to have a better relationship with your freight forwarder and someone that really understands the transit times and the inbound flow and links it to the inventory that's in the warehouse. That's primarily what I'm focused on is working with our partners in, in those areas. 
So how did, okay. So if, if I'm, um, you know, an e an e-com company, um, Amazon junior or something like that. So, you know, the example of, of tail loading, uh, you know, you having a hat, hot pallet and making sure that it's like in the back of a truck or something or back sure. of a container, back of a truck, well, probably back of a, a truck is more likely, but, um, the, like that, so how do you do like, what kinds of things do you work on? Yeah. To, so, so a better to, example would be a company like Shipmunk. Right? Okay. So, so they, they are an e-commerce warehouse company. They have 11 warehouses in the U S they have a thousand customers, many of okay. whom are, um, importing from Asia. Okay. And it, and so they, they are essentially offering ocean freight services to their captive audience of a thousand high growth internet companies. And we're streamlining the movements into those 11 warehouses from Asia. Um, and we are effectively sort of helping to control that inbound flow. And, and if you, if you ride on the shipmunk box that comes out of Shanghai, you know, that that's a priority box and they're and and they are getting a consolidation with their other tenants that are in that shipmunk warehouse and these are people that today like like shipmunk you know a few months ago really didn't participate in ocean freight at all you know okay. so it's it's a new phenomenon for them you know before us they were getting surprised by every every different forwarder that just showed up at their door and we're actually attempting to sort of corral more of their customers that happen to be tenants in a single warehouse um, taking it back to origin or taking it back to our CFS in LA. So maybe you have customers that are importing from Vietnam and Cambodia and China and Japan and everything comes together in LA and we build a single truck to their warehouse in Southern California in Fontana, for example. Um, so that's, okay. that's more of what I'm working with is sort of fulfillment, warehouse-based fulfillment providers in the U.S. that want to have the ocean freight element to what they're doing. Okay, so, okay, so I think I understand that. So, with in the Shipmunk example, then, they have a thousand customers, mm -hmm. and did you say that, that those customers, like, they will contract with Shipmunk to, for Shipmunk to move the goods from Shanghai to their warehouse or whatever Sh it is. Shipmunk says to the, their customers, we have a partnership with EQ. Okay. Right. So they, and they're essentially acting as a sales agent, but they are publishing okay. our sailing schedule from Shanghai. And they're yeah. saying, this is the price per cubic meter for, you know, for all their thousand customers, if they want to participate in the weekly sailing, that's the Shipmunk box to their Fontana, California location or to their yep. Chicago okay. location or their Harrisburg, Pennsylvania location. I see. Okay. So, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. So if there are other companies like Shipmunk, which I'm sure there are, there are there many, many hundreds, if um, not thousands. Yeah. Right. So, so your job then is to develop sort of the relationships with those, those customers and, and figure out how to basically replicate the best practice of process with amongst these thousands of companies or warehouses that are like shipmunk. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of times these companies are in and of themselves, they're kind of small, like they're maybe shipping once a month. They're maybe they only have a few pallets, but when you look in aggregate, 
I mean, it, it become it's a lot of volume and mm-hmm. we help them out, you know, and a lot of times the big forwarders really aren't interested in these companies. They're, they're below their radar. Um, so they're not right. able to get very cost effective rate prices. Um, a lot of times they don't understand how to do customs brokerage and we can introduce them to our brokerage division, which, you know, mm-hmm. ends up being a really nice value add. And it provides visibility, but the most important thing is that linkage with the 3PL warehouse to provide them a really good, you know, almost a seamless experience. And often we'll integrate with the 3PL's portal so they can go log in and see their inventory. Oh, I'm running low. Maybe I need to order some new. They can do it from right there and they can see the container tracking inbound and schedule the the delivery for the, for the container, for the pallets as they're coming in. Right. So how do, how do you find with with these um sort of shipmunk type companies my feeling is that in the e-com world the data that's available is really pretty good if you were to compare that to some of the other industries that exist um just because the nature of their business is such that everything's digitized so, yep. so the, yeah yeah no, it's available. pretty good i mean most of them a lot of them are using shopify a lot of them or NetSuite, you know, they have pretty good, many of them have pretty good databases and SKU, you know, master, item masters and things like that. You know, they are doing business on the internet. So it's all there. It's all digital. Um, And um, we can do an integration and get all that information into our system. Or a lot of times they want to just use our APIs and they can... um, and then they can get like the tracking information or the quoting information, the pricing information. They can pull it out of our system via an API webhook, which is a really mm-hmm. nice way that they can integrate back into their portal. So, you know, the data can flow either way. Right. Uh, that's really quite, quite interesting. So how, how did you end up getting into this business? <laughs> oh gosh uh the world of logistics and remember i've done a lot of different things i've been a warehousing guy i've been a um, parcel guy i uh, worked for dhl express for many years um so not always an ocean freight guy but um yeah no i uh it's funny i i was a i was a russian major in college and i worked in katya's russian tea room in San Francisco. So I was waiting tables. I just graduated. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was trying to figure it out. And um, I probably would have gone to Russia, but they had like an economic collapse in the late 90s. So I chose not to move to California. And this guy walked in and he said, hey, you know, you're you're educated and 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 uh, why are you waiting tables? I spoke to him in Russian, but he, you know, he realized I, I was, I had an education. He's like, call this guy. And so that was, that turned out to be a sales manager at a company that was later acquired by DHL. So that's how my career in logistics started. Just kind of the right place, right time. Um, But I love it. Or, or or wrong, wrong place, wrong time or something. Exactly. uh, Yeah. I I find, I, I always ask that question of people I talk to because it's nobody. Well, I, it's the rare occasion there there it's not a, a zero but it's the rare occasion where you talk to someone where they say yeah 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 when i was 6 i i always wanted to be in logistics uh, and move yeah. logistics and move move stuff around and so what you have is like a whole bunch of people that never expected to be where they are and and so the story and the journey for how they got to 
where they get to is is really quite fascinating. And and you know, when I, as I say that, and when I think back, I mean, there are most people in most industries. I guess they never. It's the odd person that says, "I want to be a fireman." when they grow up and end up turning into a fireman. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, th- this, this world really is kind of like a strange world. And I, and I, I'm always amazed, like, just cause we're in ocean freight, you know, like how one becomes part of, of the merchant, merchant Marine, um, you know, like as, as a guy who grew up in Toronto, which is a, probably as far away from the ocean as you could possibly get yeah um like that was never on my radar as something like of course vessels are moving all over the place and if you care to think that maybe there were people that worked on them that somehow there's a path to getting to one if that were if that were your thing sure sure um, i just like i thought like it's such a unusual job being yeah. a merchant marine or, or working in, you know, logistics and, and, and logistics in general. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, or, it's, I think, I think Amazon has made it a little bit more sexy, you know, mm-hmm. like er, early on in the, in the nineties and early two thousands, you know, the companies I worked for had trouble recruiting good people because it was just, you know, it was considered kind of a blue collar kind of not, not, mm-hmm. not a, you know, not, not upward mobility kind of career thing but i think supply chain has become a really important part of the business world and i think more and more amazon has helped right mm-hmm. they realized like that that's a company with that use supply chain as a tool to accelerate their growth and really just dominate um and and so you see now in other companies you know it used to be the chief marketing officer that got the top job or the or the or, or the CFO, you know, who knew the numbers and knew how to talk to the investors. Now, a lot of times, it's the operations or the or the s- chief supply chain officer that gets the top job because that, you know, that is what it's about. Like mature business is about, you know, figuring out how to how to have a really efficient supply chain. You know, right? And I think so. That's that's an interesting phenomenon. And then the other thing, yeah. you know, just when I think about this career, I've, I've been in it for twenty six years, and and it's just it's important. You know, it's, it's, um, I mean, it's not curing cancer, but it's, it is, we are the lifeblood of the global economy. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. at, at any given time, 30% of the entire globe's economy is on ships moving around. So we're right. like the circulatory system of that. And I think it's important that we understand it and it's, you know, it's moving pieces on a chessboard and strategy and, and. I don't know. I've I've found that it's never boring. Um, you know, <laughs> take that for what it will. You know, it's it's also sometimes I wish it was boring because it's uh it's a then, little, then uh, you get to relax a little bit every now and again. But but uh, it's fun. No, I enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, it no, it is. And and I mean, I think Amazon made a big difference. I think COVID certainly uh, created a uh, a major. Um, it was a major event that people couldn't help but understand supply chains exist and that there's a problem. Um, again, because I I work also in trade compliance. If you want to talk about unsexy when I first entered this world, if you want to talk unsexy business, um, trade compliance was like the ugly stepson of like the international logistics world. Sure, and um. You know, ironically, Trump with the 301 tariffs basically put um, trade compliance professionals from people that never got to 
talk to anybody in senior management to the C-level table almost overnight because, um, you know, a 25% tariff was totally unheard of yeah. before, yep. before this. And that was, uh, a huge deal. And then, you know, pile on, you know, the, the inability to get product to, to get, get capacity on a, on a vessel. I, my, uh, my sister works for, uh, one of the major retailers in, in Canada. And one of the things when nobody could get, um, capacity on vessels, they were big enough to, um, at least talk about, uh, chartering their own vessels to move containers, to get them in, not really thinking about, yeah, but they still have to go through a port. Right. And, exactly. uh, you doesn't, can, doesn't you, help to have your own ship if you can't get into the it, port. If you can't get into the port, it's like you could, you could get probably to about a mile offshore faster than anybody else. And then you're in line. Yeah. And, uh, that quickly, you know, it turns out that doesn't just cause you have a lot of money. doesn't mean that you can move your goods faster. Yep. Um, yep. and so it really, it's a, it's like a totally fascinating, uh, world and, you know, I call myself lucky to be, you know, in it. Um, even though again, it wasn't my life, life dream when I was six years old to, yeah. to be where I am today. Yep. Um, but it, it, it really did open up, um, you know, this new world to me and the ability to, um, meet really interesting people that I really like and, you know, you included in, in sort of that set. And, um, I find that, you know, these, you know, quote unquote, blue collar guys that guys, gals that sort of are part of this world really are fantastic and amazing to talk to. And, and everybody has a really cool story as a result yep. of nobody really dreaming to be in here, yep. how they get here. And, yep. um, it's one of the reasons I'm able to do this podcast and, and, and Lord, like, I mean, I learned a ton. I, I find there's so much to know in this space. And it's so easy to gloss over details that are really important, how things work. And, and it's, it's such a complex system that we've built. It's really quite magical. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, it requires people know and understand and continue to build. And, um, that's why sort of, we're lucky to have you in this, in this industry and, um, it's, I'm lucky to be part of it. So yeah. anyway, it's, this is probably a, a good a good time to end. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that you agreed to sit down with me and, and that chance meeting, uh, at TPM last year was, uh, really great. And, and maybe you'll, uh, decide it's worth your time to come back sometime. No, for sure. For sure. No, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. Really, really enjoy it, Grant. And, and, uh, yeah, it's nice to, to, uh, you know, not just talk about, you know, the, uh, the big picture or, or the, or the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the common statistics or whatever, but to get a little bit deeper and, you know, and just to, to go back to what you were saying about the blue collar side of our business, you know, this, this is something I'm really passionate about because I was a warehouse guy for many years and warehouses are so dependent on the, you know, the operational, we call it late, you know, they call it labor and, and we do analysis on labor and the availability in the market, but it's people at the end of the day, it's, it's humans, you know? And, and, um, so the real competitive edge is, do you have a, a place for humans to work that enjoy their job? Do you provide a good environment for them where they want to come in and they're passionate and they care about it? And you're absolutely right. Like a lot of people 
really do in our industry, especially, you know, especially in the maritime industry, they love this, you know, their, their, yeah. their heart is in it. And, and, um, those are the things that really make a difference. You know, when you have a workforce that's highly motivated, that likes what they do, that care, you know, that want to support that they see the big picture. They know that their customers are their lifeblood. That's a really special thing. And I think that's um, a key differentiator and something, you know, every, every organization I've worked for in this industry has sort of been able to have that bond with, um, you know, the operational side of the people that actually make it happen. So shout mm-hmm. out to those folks. Um, yeah, thanks for the time. Really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Excellent. Thanks for listening to Third Wave Trade Talks. To get in touch and learn more about what we do, visit our website at thirdwave.co. There you'll find more resources to enrich your knowledge of global trade. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.